Today, we're talking about Hamas's devastating attacks on Israel, all the misinformation, the updates, what's about to happen, as well as how a battle to save a dying species of whales could completely upend big oil, and why California Governor Gavin Newsom is vetoing caps on insulin and shrooms decriminalization. We're talking about all that and so much more on today's brand new Philip DeFranco show. You daily dive into the news, so just make sure you're subscribed and let's jump into it. Starting with... Israel was caught completely by surprise this weekend after Hamas launched a massive attack early on Saturday morning. The assault, including not only the normal stuff like firing thousands of rockets into Israel, but also a coordinated assault across the border, which was done by dismantling parts of the border fences and having hundreds fly into Israel on paragliders. And once inside, they assaulted border villages and locations with large concentrations of Israelis with grim efficiency. Where this meant going door to door in some places to shoot civilians in their homes or take them hostage. And one of the worst incidents was at the Supernova Music Festival, right? That took place in the sparsely populated Negev Desert about 13 miles from the Gaza Strip. Now, investigators are still piecing together exactly what happened, but through dash cam footage from some of the cars there and videos taken by partygoers, we have a general idea. Early in the morning, just after sunrise, the ravers could hear the rockets coming from Gaza, so they started to be escorted out of the festival. But Hamas soldiers quickly arrived and just started killing, with initial reports indicating dozens were killed, then a hundred, and now it stands that at least 260 people at the festival were killed and many others captured. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. If you add up all those killed throughout the border villages, it's believed that over 700 Israelis have been killed, many more taken prisoner, and about as many are still missing. Right, for context of how big of a disaster this is for Israel, this is the single biggest loss of Jewish civilians since the Holocaust. And adding to the horror of all this is the sheer celebration that those engaged in the killings were having. You can see Hamas troops desecrating corpses and parading them around, or in many cases showing off those who were captured as war trophies, including women who have been raped. And since the attack, the Israeli Defense Forces worked to secure border towns in the broken parts of the border, which has led to multiple firefights. And while there are understandably many questions being asked right now that we need answers to, one of the biggest is how the fuck did this happen? Right, Hamas's attacks seem to have come out of nowhere and Israel wasn't prepared, with one of the reasons being the timing. Hamas attacked during a major holiday in Israel when many troops were on leave, allowing Hamas to capture what few troops were there relatively easily, which could partly be why they attacked when they attacked, but also the date has importance in Israeli-Palestinian history. And footage from places like the music festival show only a handful of police, security, and a single tank arriving to try and slow down the attack. But overall, there is a sense that Prime Minister Netanyahu is done for. And there's a few reasons for this, ranging from reports that he ignored intelligence that something big from Gaza was going to happen, to he spent too much effort on his judicial overhaul bill in order to stay in power, or even that he sent too many troops to help Jewish settlers in the West Bank kick Palestinian out of their homes rather than worry about Hamas. But, I mean, even some extremely staunchly pro-Israel supporters are calling for him to hand over any prisoners Hamas wants in exchange for those now being held hostage with takes like saying, we don't negotiate with terrorists only works if you can actually protect against terrorists. Israeli government and intelligence failed horrendously. And the Israelis slaughtered and taken hostage in this weekend's attack are victims of Hamas terror and also victims of Netanyahu's inexcusable failure to protect his own citizens. Once the remaining Israeli hostages are safely returned, Netanyahu needs to resign. Now, that being said, he's very unlikely to actually face any kind of reckoning until after fighting with Hamas has been finished, which will likely take a long time. And a lot can happen between now and then. And it also helps that all the major opposition forces have now formed a unity government during the crisis. So far, as of updates, Israel has called up 300,000 reservists, the largest amount ever. And Netanyahu and his ministers have made it clear that Israel is at war, that Gaza will be besieged, and there will be an invasion by troops. Before that happens, though, Israel's air force has already started bombing the city. And this while Hamas has continued to send rockets into Israel through the past two days. And surrounding all this, there was a lot of misinformation. There's been footage circulating of Israeli attacks on Gaza. Then you have things ending up just being actual fireworks celebrations from another country completely. Or of children in cages that Hamas allegedly captured. That's actually old footage not even taken in Palestine or Israel. Or Elon Musk recommending people to follow channels that are notorious for spreading any video they can get their hands on without checking them at all. In the case of YouTuber Moist Critical, there was a fake screenshot
screenshot being shared all over of a video titled Massive Israel Drama, which is definitely something he didn't make. Also, as you can imagine, this conflict has caused a lot of reactions. The U.S. has largely said that it's giving unwavering support to Israel and sending a carrier strike group to the region. Meanwhile, many European countries have condemned Hamas's attack, with the EU even announcing that it was ending a massive $700 million Palestinian aid package because of the violence. But then, on the other side, some lawmakers such as Ilhan Omar have expressed their support for Palestinians while also dancing around the atrocities committed by Hamas. Which actually, on that note, it brings us to kind of the next thing. Talking about this issue at all, in any way, opens people up for criticism because everyone ends up digging their heels in. Right? Take Kylie Jenner and Jamie Lee Curtis, for example. Both made general posts in support of Israel only to then take them down after severe backlash. But some of it coming from personalities like Mia Khalifa, who said, quote, If true journalism exists, the next person to talk to Kylie Jenner will ask for her opinion on geopolitical tensions in the Middle East and not break eye contact until she can string one coherent sentence together since she wants to take a stance to her 400 million followers so badly. However, Khalifa herself has also gotten a lot of support and a lot of backlash for taking an extremely controversial stance that many others have. With the writing things like wanting the freedom fighters in Palestine to flip their phones and film horizontal. And in the face of backlash, she doubled down and said, I just want to make sure there's 4K footage of my people breaking down the walls of the open air prison they've been forced out of their homes and into so we have good options for the history books that write about how they freed themselves from apartheid. I stand with all people fighting oppression. Right? And she was hardly alone in that, right? Throughout the world, you could find Palestinian groups celebrating Hamas's attack. As well as online, many ignored all the footage coming out to say things like, the assumption that Palestinian fighters committed rape is based on racism pure and simple. There isn't a single verified report or claim of that happening. Now, for obvious reasons, I am not going to show you the footage here, but I can assure you that without a doubt, rape has happened. Meanwhile, you have others arguing this is a natural consequence of Israel's actions and of colonization. There are even people justifying the killings of innocents, such as the, the 22-year-old German woman at the music festival whose mangled body was later paraded around by Hamas with takes like, if she didn't want to experience the incredible violence of decolonization, she probably shouldn't have participated in colonization, I guess. And as you might imagine, many were outraged with those takes and responding with stuff like, murdering tourists at a fucking concert is not an act of decolonization, you fucking psychopath. Also, at the same time, many of those who are pro-Israel are calling for the complete destruction of Gaza. Netanyahu himself told Palestinians to leave Gaza City as they are seemingly planning massive airstrikes all across the city. While also at the same time announcing that they were cutting off all food, water, and electricity to the tiny territory. But also, here's the thing with it. They don't really have anywhere to go. In fact, it's one of the reasons Hamas is even able to stay in power. Many Gazans feel like if they're going to be living in generally shit conditions, they'll at least go out fighting. But it creates a cycle where Israel wants to cut supplies so Hamas gets weaker, but then it bolsters Hamas's popularity with Gazans as they suffer. And as explained by Dr. Mustafa Bargodi, who works with a Palestinian group in the West Bank, Hamas's attacks are often able to garner so much support from Palestinians because many are so angry with decades of what they call an apartheid Israeli state and adding. What you see today is a reaction to several things. First of all, settlers, terrorist attacks on Palestinians in the West Bank that has evicted already 20 communities in an act of ethnic cleansing. 248 Palestinians were killed by the Israeli army and settlers in the West Bank, including 40 children. Attacks on the holy sites, the Muslim and Christian holy sites by Israeli extremists, as well as declaration of Netanyahu that he will liquidate the Palestinian rights and the Palestinian cause by normalization with Arab countries. And he dared even to go to the United Nations and carried in the United Nations a map of Israel, which included the whole of the West Bank, all of Gaza, all of Jerusalem, as well as the Golan 
Heights. Without food, water, electricity, and a general invasion, the conditions there could get much, much worse for the two million residents. And adding to the problem and really just touching on what a nightmare situation this could become are the civilian deaths that will happen. Partially, that's because horrible collateral damage happens in every war, even when countries try not to. But also especially because Hamas actively uses civilians as human shields, including right now as officials told residents to stay in place despite Israeli warnings that strikes will happen. And so it's because of that policy that people like Ben Shapiro have said that any Palestinian blood in the upcoming campaigns will be on Hamas's hands not Israel. And when you look at everything that's happening and what everyone is saying, it really feels like with this entire conflict, all nuance is dead. Like, I don't think it should be a hot take to say that specifically killing civilians and taking hostages is horrendous and shouldn't be supported. And many have pointed out that even if you support an armed resistance by Palestinians, there are legitimate military targets to attack, not small towns and concerts. Or there would be and should be similar outrage if Ukraine sent a force into Russia and did the same things Hamas just did. And in general, there's a sense that Hamas actually fucked up support for the Palestinian cause. Or you've probably seen it worldwide. It's been picking up steam, but then a Atrocities like this come out and make people quickly go, oh shit, wait a second. Although with that, there are actually some conspiracy that this was done partially to derail Israel's talks with Saudi Arabia. But then at the same time, it's fine to condemn some of the language coming out of Israel, such as when the defense minister said that we are fighting human animals and we will act accordingly. With language like that, usually the first step to horrible acts of violence against population. But ultimately, all we know for sure right now is that more people are going to die. Not only because both sides are bombing each other and shooting each other, but also because Hamas warned that for every unannounced airstrike, it was going to execute a hostage. And right now, there is no reason to believe that Israeli-Palestinian relations are going to improve anytime soon. Though, understand this is obviously an ongoing situation and there's going to be a constant stream of news coming out. But I mean, even since I just started filming this piece, we've now heard Israel has bombed Hezbollah targets in southern Lebanon, as well as there being claims that Russia sent captured Western weapons from Ukraine to Gaza to try and make it seem like Ukraine supported them. It is just a nightmare right now and we're going to have to wait to see what happens next. And then, thousands of more employees are now joining the UAW strike after rejecting a deal for Mack Trucks. That's just one of the big updates we're looking at right now. Right, so Mack Trucks is best known for manufacturing semis, but they also produce construction equipment, fire trucks, and even military-grade vehicles. And in a letter released on Twitter, the UAW said that over 70% of their workers voted against the proposed contract covering about 4,000 Mack Trucks employees in Maryland, Pennsylvania, and Florida. The UAW president, Sean Fain, saying in a statement, members have the final say, and it's their solidarity and organization that will win a fair contract at Mack. Now, according to the company, the rejected deal included a 10% wage increase in the first year, with another compounded 20% over the course of the five-year agreement, along with a guarantee that the health insurance premiums would not go up. But the workers are looking for more, with Fain saying that the two sides now need to reach an agreement on not only wages, but cost of living allowances, job security, and pension. So the rejection of this deal means that 4,000 MAC workers went on strike this morning, bringing the total number of striking UAW workers across 22 states to about 30,000, with thousands upon thousands of those participating in a targeted strike against Detroit's big three automakers for weeks. And while some are still concerned about the massive effect this strike could have on the auto industry and the U.S. economy as a whole, we're actually seeing some good news on that front, with Fain announcing last Friday that the UAW union would not be expanding their strike further right now, and the union citing progress in negotiations with all three automakers, including Ford offering a 23% wage increase over four years, and General Motors agreeing to include electrical vehicle battery manufacturing facilities under the new union contract. With Fain saying in that announcement, we are winning, we are making progress, and we are heading in the right direction. Strikes and the threat of strikes by a unified membership are what deliver. But things are still developing, so we're going to have to keep our eyes on this one. And then, you know, I'm not here to freak you out, but cybersecurity is no joke, and we all need to be protected. Because, you know, I can constantly see online banner ads, sidebars, and pop-ups everywhere. In short, most are just colorful distractions, but some are malvertising ads created to infect your device with malware and viruses. So how can you block these dangerous sites and help give you peace of mind? Well, that's where the fantastic partner and sponsor of today's show, NordVPN, or more directly, nordvpn.com slash phil, comes in. Right, an attacker will create a convincing advert containing hidden lines and malicious code and find a way to feature their content on a legitimate website. And when you click on that ad, you'll be directed to a dangerous server from which the rest of the attack will be launched. And I love that NordVPN's threat protection service blocks dangerous sites and limits advertising, giving us a cleaner, safer browsing experience. So slow down and exercise some caution. Right, 
healthy dose of skepticism will go a long way to keeping you secure. So take control of your internet experience today and go to nordvpn.com slash phil to get a huge discount on a two-year plan plus an additional four months free. And the deal at nordvpn.com slash phil is only around for a short time and it's risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. And then this endangered species of whale in the Gulf of Mexico is now just big oil's latest problem. Right, so for decades, the whales living in the Gulf of Mexico were thought to have been a part of the widespread species of bride's whales. But then a genetic analysis back in 2014 revealed that the whales in the Gulf were so different from the brides that they might be their own species altogether. Though in order to officially declare a new species, scientists needed a body, and so they waited five long years for one. Which brings us to 2019, when the 38-foot-long body of one of these whales washed up on the shore of the Florida Everglades. And that's when Michael McGowan, research zoologist and curator of marine animals at the Smithsonian's National Museum of Natural History, knew that this was it. And then, after the body was buried in sand and then manure to allow the flesh to decompose, this massive skeleton was sent to the Smithsonian. And after examination, scientists with the National Marine Fisheries Service published a study in 2021 declaring that this was a brand new species and naming them Rice's whales after the late biologist who first identified whales in the Gulf of Mexico. But this awesome news was then immediately followed by a terrifying realization that there were very, very few Rice's whales left. Right? I mean, at the time of their announcement as a new species, there were only 50 remaining. That made them one of the most endangered marine mammals on Earth. And these whales appear to live exclusively in U.S. waters, so it's up to us to protect them, even though humans are one of their biggest threats. So specifically, I'm talking about humans working in the offshore oil and gas industry in the Gulf Coast. And that's even outside the threat of just oil spills, a seismic air guns used to find oil and gas deposits, those could deafen marine animals. Not to mention the threat of getting hit by boats, tangled up in fishing equipment, and just general debris. In fact, a piece of hard plastic was found on the stomach of the rice's whales that washed up in the Everglades in 2019, which may have contributed to its death. Now, notably, the discovery around all this prompted many to push for greater protections for the whale's habitat, with the Biden administration even beginning taking steps to protect the whales under the Endangered Species Act. Also, the National Marine Fisheries Service proposed designating a 28,000 square mile swath of the Gulf as critical habitat for the rice's whales. Six million acres of their habitat was also pulled from an offshore oil lease sale. And now, even boats were ordered to slow down in the area and completely avoid it after sunset when the whales come to the surface to rest. However, all of those protections were not received well, with Republican lawmakers saying that hampering boat traffic could harm the economy of the Gulf Coast. And specifically, Senator Tommy Tuberville saying it would, quote, detrimentally impact our nation's ability to domestically produce oil and gas in hopes of becoming energy independent. And so as of now, we still don't know how these protections are going to impact other industries, but oil companies and investors will have to change their plans for the Gulf region, with one offshore lobbyist saying, for oil and gas, it could be significant. Withdrawn acreage, it's prime real estate. And that acreage is a serious point of contention, with the state of Louisiana, Chevron, and the American Petroleum Institute suing the Biden administration in an effort to get those six million acres back on the market with no restrictions. And their argument was that the decision to remove the acreage was hastily made at the very last minute. And a judge actually seemed to agree with them, ruling that the Biden administration needed to put the acres back on the auction block. And the judge writing at the process in the withdrawal of the acreage, quote, looks more like a weaponization of the Endangered Species Act than the collaborative reasoned approach. Now that said, environmentalists have since appealed the decision and the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management has asked for an emergency stay of the order, with an attorney with the environmentalist group Earth Justice saying, these baseline protections for the rice's whales are quite literally the least we could be doing to save the species from extinction. And so with all this, we know the Court of Appeals has since pushed the sale back to November 8th, so we'll have to wait to see what comes from that. But this legal back and forth also hasn't stopped the Biden administration from considering designating a different stretch of the Gulf of Mexico as a critical habitat, which would potentially lead to even more restrictions for the oil and gas industry. But this is, according to environmentalists, the whales don't really have the time to wait for these protections. With also one marine biologist studying the whale's diet saying, I'm not confident that in 50 years they're going to be around. Honestly, I wouldn't bet my life on it. But for now, we'll have to wait to see how all this plays out. In the meantime, I'd love to know your thoughts. And then you've got people wondering if Gavin Newsom is a secret Republican because of this news today. And that's because the governor of California just vetoed a string of bills that on the surface you think a Democrat would support. Starting with a bill that would have decriminalized the possession and personal use of several hallucinogens, including magic mushrooms. So you had Newsom saying that he would support the measure if it contained more safety guidelines, explaining California should immediately begin work to set up regulated treatment guidelines, replete with dosing information, therapeutic guidelines, rules to prevent against exploitation during guided treatments, and 
and medical clearance of no underlying psychoses. Though critics noted that the law wouldn't have taken effect until 2025 and would have had the state's Health and Human Services make recommendations to lawmakers on the therapeutic use of psychedelics. Next, you had Newsom veto a bill that would have capped the price of insulin at just $35. With a proposed law prohibiting insurance companies from charging more than that and out-of-pocket costs for a 30-day supply of medicine, including deductibles and co-pays. But California actually has a $50 million contract with a pharmaceutical company to begin producing the state's own brand of insulin. And 10 milliliters of that stuff is going to sell for $30. And so Newsom explained, we are getting at the underlying cost, which is the true sustainable solution to high-cost pharmaceuticals. With co-pay caps, however, the long-term costs are still passed down to consumers through higher premiums from health plans. And then you had Newsom veto a bill that would have made free condoms available to all public high school students. But the governor's argument here being that it's just too expensive. The state already has a $30 billion budget deficit, so he didn't think that this program was worth adding to that. There, legislative staff estimated it would only cost in the low millions of dollars each year, and that would supply contraception to nearly 2 million students. And then finally, you had Newsom veto a bill that would have outlawed caste discrimination, which notably would have actually made California the first state to do so, though you do have cities like Seattle and Fresno that have added caste, right, defined as a division of people based on birth or descent to their anti-discrimination laws. Right, because several religious groups, especially members of the Indian diaspora, have long complained about unfair treatment in housing, education, and the economy. But here, Newsom argued that the bill was unnecessary, pointing out that California law, quote, already prohibits discrimination based on sex, race, color, religion, ancestry, national origin, disability, gender identity, sexual orientation, and other characteristics. And state law specifies that these civil rights protections shall be liberally construed. And in general, I, I thought that this was kind of interesting news, but also I think it really highlights the difference between uh, reading the headline of a story and actually understanding a story. And then finally today, let's talk about yesterday today, where we look at the last show we put out, where we covered a lot of news. We then dive into those comments to see what y'all are saying, your opinions, your reactions, your experiences. And on the last show, the news that took over that comment section was about the school shooter who served his time and then has blown up on TikTok. And I will say it was very interesting because depending on where you went on the internet, vastly different reactions, right? In some places, people are saying, you know, he's a scum of the earth. He should never see the light of day again. Others saying, hey, he served his time. He's trying to do good. But again, we had people having all different reactions. Some saying Jay's former actions are reprehensible, but he's served his time. And if he is genuine in wanting to be an advocate for preventing other school shootings, we can learn from him. None of us have ever been compelled to do such a thing. If his message on TikTok prevents even one future incident, it's a good thing. For better or worse, that platform is a great way to build support in 2023. Meanwhile, others chimed in saying as a person who's been following the TikTok school shooter saga on TikTok, the main thing that people on the platform are having issues with is the fact that Jay was starting to spout information about reverse racism and using the sword attack that he was a victim of as a reason to show off his racist side. And saying then when people were looking into his mess further, they found articles from the shooting he perpetrated where he is quoted saying that he wanted to kill as many people as he could, but was stopped. TikTok's problem with the guy is that he's trying to come off as sympathetic and a victim when he's never addressed those comments. And there's a lot of back and forth there. Some saying, yeah, that's the issue. Others saying, again, he didn't do that, saying at the time of his arrest, he changed his story once, and arguing this happened during a time when he was a kid in shock being interrogated by professional manipulators seeking to secure a confession. Though there you had people arguing around using the term kid, saying yeah, he was young when this happened, but also a teacher got shot. And while it's impossible to encapsulate every opinion y'all had on this, I'll include one more comment with one of y'all saying, my thoughts are complex. On one hand, we have DUI and DWI offenders who have killed people by getting behind the wheel while intoxicated, among other offenses, speaking in public schools and other forums about their mistakes and using it as an example to kids to not do that, and saying in this day and age, a message along those lines can be spread to a wider audience on social media like TikTok. While I don't think that Jay should be allowed to, quote, profit from his story by gaining fame, I do think that he should
should be allowed to showcase what his actions took from others and himself while advocating for changes that may prevent another child from repeating his crime. We forget sometimes that children lack impulse control, some until their early 20s, and while our legal system can classify someone as an adult earlier, there's still a lot of growth happening to make that person who they'll be as an adult. He served his time, and we have laws that protect free speech for a reason. If we start telling criminals they can't share their stories, then we don't allow others to learn from their mistakes. Does that mean every sentence that comes out of his mouth is going to be something I agree with? No. He's a human with thoughts and opinions that are his own. I particularly do not agree with the reverse racism stuff you mentioned, but I'm sure there are lots of people who speak in schools about their mistakes and crimes that don't share the same opinions as me and are not barred from speaking. But that is where today's dive into the news is going to end. As always, thank you for watching, being a part of these dives into the news. Of course, with today's stories, I'd love to know what you think in those comments down below. Also, for more news you need to know, I got you covered right here. You can click or tap or I got links in the description. But as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you right back here for more news tomorrow.